Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you. It's really busy around here in these parts. I hope that you guys are busy, too, for all the right reasons. Uh, later today, I will be in Meridian, Mississippi at the, the Bully Shop uh, downtown signing books. Dog pile is off and running. And I, and I have to admit, it's probably exceeded my early expectations. And maybe, maybe it's because of the fact that I had thought maybe some of the enthusiasm had waned a bit. You know, you guys set all these records, you know, ordering through Fanatics and all the the clothing. Some people even wore off-colored Mississippi State clothing because they were just so eager to have national championship merch. But, um, yeah, we're off and running, to say the least. Most bookstores are already up in their orders. And here's the reality of this thing, you know, because of the national paper shortage and things like that, that uh, there's real possibility we're going to run out of books before the second printing gets there. But relax, we're going to print some more. Probably have to have three or four printings before the year is over trying to get what we can get but uh many of you have already reached out you've already read the book that's one of those things too it's like you spend all this time and effort putting a book together you write it you edit it they lay it out there's all this pre-production stuff that goes on and then you guys read it in like two days and some people have shared with me they're going back to read it again to maybe look for some things that they missed but uh yeah, it's doing great. And uh, so let me give you kind of an update on, on kind of where I'm going to be and what's going to happen uh, here in the next couple of days. I told you guys I will be uh, in Meridian this afternoon. So by the time you listen to the show, maybe I've already come and gone. But uh, all right, so here is the upcoming schedule. 
and this stuff will change. Uh, we'll add some more dates is my point there. Okay, so I'm going to be at the Bulldog Shop in Meridian, 2.30 to 5 today. Uh, tomorrow, I'm doing kind of a, I don't know, kind of an interview type deal with the Starkville Library. That's going to be kind of a reading and a meet and greet. That'll be uh, Thursday, February 10th from 12 to 1. That evening, I will be at the Alluvian at an event sponsored by Turnrow Books. That's going to be a happy hour deal from like 5 to 7. Come by and check it out. We'll hang out for a while. Friday, February 11th, I'm at Maroon & Company from 3 to 6. That's this Friday, 3 to 6 at Maroon & Company. Saturday, I'll be in central Mississippi. That's right. I'll be at Mississippi's bookstore, Lemuria Books, from noon to 2. And then I'll be at Persnickety in Madison from 2.30 to 4.30. Yeah, that's right. So basically, I will leave Lemuria to go directly to Persnickety. So if you miss me in Jackson, come catch me in Madison. And then on Thursday of next week, excuse me, Tuesday of next week, February the 15th, I will be at the Y'all Lifestyle Store in Ridgeland. That's right. That's the Bo Bounds place. Tuesday, February 15th. It's the day after Valentine's Day. So if your true love didn't get you a copy of Dogpile, you can come get it yourself. Next Thursday, February 17th, I'll be at Reed's Gumtree in Tupelo. Be sure and come check that out. Friday, February 18th, I'll be downtown at Book Martin Cafe. So if you're coming in to watch the Bulldogs play Long Beach State, that's at 3 o'clock first pitch. So I will be at Book Martin Cafe 11 to 1.30. I'll leave there and go to uh, Duty Noble Field. And then Saturday, prior to the game on Saturday, that's a 2 p.m. start, I will be at Campus Bookmart from 10 to 1230. So you're going to have plenty of opportunities to see me. And, and that, the, the, your shows aren't going to be interrupted. You know, I still got to produce daily content over on jeanspage.com. You know, so that stuff's not going to change. It's just more on the plate, if you know what I'm saying. So that's kind of where we are and what we're doing. Uh, the book is now in several stores. Uh, the latest is Lorelei Books there in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So if you are in Vicksburg, run by there and pick up a copy of the book. Uh, those were delivered yesterday, and I believe are on the shelf today. And, of course, there's you know, Barnes & Noble in, uh, in Ridgeland has it. Barnes & Noble in Starville has it. Barnes & Noble in Tupelo will soon have it. I believe they'll actually have it uh, today. It may probably be on the shelves tomorrow. And then all over the greater Starkville area, of course, you know, it's everywhere. You know, it's at Liza Tide, it's at Book Martin Cafe, uh, Campus Book Mart, Maroon Company, The Lodge. Matter of fact, um, you know, The Lodge's already just about sold out, you know, so everybody's having already to replenish. And, guys, the book came out on Friday. Online orders still going well. You can find those at dogpiledabook.com. And let me give you a little bit of uh, information here about personalization. Okay, there is a notes section for you to put if you want me to personalize a book to somebody. If you don't put personalization instructions, I'm just going to sign my name because I don't know if you're buying it for yourself or for your, your neighbor or for your best friend or for your boss. And so if you don't put specific notations, you're just going to get a signed book, which is great. It's great. It's not personalized, but it's still great. And so understand when you go online to dogpiledabook.com and you want it personalized, you've got to specify that. Because I've had some people that said, hey, well, you didn't personalize it. Well, you didn't ask me to. And I don't want to assume because what, what if you're buying it for, 
Well, if your name is John and you're buying it for your, your, your grandfather, you know, Bob, and I write it to John, all of a sudden you're going to give Bob a book that's intended for you. So that's kind of how that works. And again, we've had, you know, thousands of online orders. And um, that's not to say that I, I made a, may not have made a mistake somewhere. Um, but the reality of it is, is I don't know that um, the people involved with the production of the book expected things to explode the way they have. I had a lot of faith in you guys. I knew we would do well. Uh, I didn't know that we would do quite so well as we've done in the first week. And so because of limited distribution last week, like the cutoff on the Mississippi Best Sours list is like Sunday. So we were only in a few stores, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I don't expect it to debut at number one. I think it'll hit the list probably, you know, middle of the pack when it's released this Sunday. And I think next week it goes to number one. And then I think it stays there probably till we run out of books. And once we get some more books, it'll go right back. So excited about it. Enjoying your comments. A lot of people have reached out and kind of shared their enthusiasm about the book. Uh, if you did order online, your books have been mailed. That's done deal. If you ordered online, they have been mailed. The overwhelming majority went out on Monday. I would say 95% went out on Monday. Uh, there were a handful that went out Tuesday, and I believe there were two or three orders that were a larger order. You know, some people order six, seven, eight books. And they had to get some more boxes on yesterday. Those went out this morning. So every online order, unless one has happened here in the last uh, 24 hours, has been mailed. Well, I'm getting some messages about that. By and large, I'm seeing a lot of pictures online. People are getting their book, and they're excited. A few people said, hey, I hadn't heard anything. And I've done the best I can to communicate with everybody um, on the show, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Jeans Page, everything. So just be patient. They're coming. And uh, if, if you don't have it, if you ordered – Prior to release, let's say you ordered back in September and you hadn't got your book. And for some, if you don't have it this week, you need, you need to reach out to the website. That's the best way. Because if you contact me, I'm going to redirect you to the website. I don't run the website. Contrary to popular belief on social media, I didn't self-publish this book. Or The only book I've self-published is the poetry book. And that was just a little family project. But the reality of it is, is if you bought a book, whether it be Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, email the website. There were some communication issues in the beginning uh, when they set that website up. The contact us form wasn't directing those emails to the proper person. So if you've had some success in the past using the Alpha Dogs and Stark Villains website, you're going to have that same level of service now. So this has been, again, the most stressful book writing process for me not exactly the writing process, but everything that's happened afterwards because of this paper shortage and delays with the printer. Um, there's just been some things we've had to deal with. But uh, the bottom line is the book is great. Uh, the cover is great. The quality of the production is great. And I think you're going to enjoy these books and treasure them for years to come. And I think this is a book, too, that you know sometimes you read a book and you pass it around. I don't think this is a book you really want to pass around. I think you're going to have this on your coffee table or on your mantle, uh, probably a keepsake that you'll treasure for for many years to come. At least I hope that's the case. And so if even if you borrow somebody else's book to read, buy your own. Buy your own and keep it. I work really hard on this for all of you because you are the people that are important to me. You know, it, it's I have people all the time that say, well, Steve, would you be willing to write this book? And I'm like, well, yeah, but the price is right. I mean, I, I guess I probably would. But I really just want to kind of write books about Mississippi State, things that, that affect Mississippi State. You know, I had somebody ask me recently if, you know, hey, Texas is number one this year, so if they won an AFL championship, uh, would you be willing to write that book? And, yeah, I probably would, but the difference is I don't really know Texas. 
you know, I don't, I can, I could chronicle a season, surely. But, um, you know, what makes this book special is the fact that I was there to witness all this stuff and I know the history of the Mississippi State program. And so I'm waiting my whole life to write that book. So there you go, dogpilethebook.com. If you need to order online, order through your favorite bookstore. And there's a lot of great independent bookstores in Mississippi carrying the book. And, um, yeah, Friendly Books over in, uh, Friendly City Books over in Columbus. Uh, it's a new bookstore, and so we're in there for the first time. So excited about that. I know many of you have already gone in there and purchased those books. And so uh, I'll be there on the uh, 24th, I guess it is. Uh, but he, it, it's all shaping up to really roll and do a good job. And um, so excited for you and excited for me. And, um, you know, starting to panic a little bit, you know, about, you know, when the next printing of books is going to show up. You know, maybe April. You know, it's like we're in February and you think, are we going to survive the month of February with books? Because you guys are buying them up. And you know what? Go ahead and buy them. I don't need you to hold anything back. Buy them. And we're going to print more. Simple as that. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. One of my favorite places to eat. And one of the main reasons why is not only is the cuisine such high quality, is I know what I'm going to get. I know the consistency and the experience. You know, some places you go and it's kind of hit or miss. They're usually back close to 1,000 at Bulldog Burger Company. I've never had a negative experience there. I know when I go in there, I'm going to get a well-trained staff. I'm going to get a quality meal at a great price and get a great portion. And I'm going to leave there satisfied and feeling good about my dining decision. A lot of times I go, I think, ah, that's not a do-over. Not at Bulldog Burger Company. You go some other places and you think, yeah, I don't know if I'm you know, going to be craving this for a while. As soon as I leave Bulldog Burger Company, I'm thinking, you know what? Next time I come back, I'm going to get this. Or I should have got this. I'm going to get this next time. That's the thing about having a favorite place to go eat. And I know your kids love Bulldog Burger Company. What kid wouldn't love Bulldog Burger Company? They get that Bulldog Burger. They get the Bulldog on the bun. Outstanding. Be sure and go by and check them out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Richmond Flowood area. Go by and... Let them know that I sent you and enjoy your meal. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Did you guys watch the uh, Auburn-Arkansas game last night? It was electric, man. I mean, it's a great college basketball game. Of course, Arkansas wins, and J.D. Note was outstanding. But I thought really the difference down the stretch, especially in overtime, was Jalen Williams. You know, he was the guy that hit the big three to to beat us. Um, We were up there uh, over the weekend. Arkansas's won, what now, eight in a row? And just took down their one team in the country? And I thought their defensive effort gave Auburn some trouble. You know, Auburn is so athletic, especially on the perimeter. You know, sometimes when things break down, they can just kind of manufacture a basket. But I didn't think they looked like a well-oiled machine offensively. I think Arkansas really disrupted them a little bit. And, you know, of course, you don't have your starting point guard. It's going to happen. But a huge win for Arkansas. Shake some things up, and then some would suggest, well, you know, it makes us feel a little bit better about our loss to Arkansas. No, nothing's going to make me feel better about us losing a basketball game, especially when every win matters to us, is we're battling to get into the NCAA tournament. So the next one up for us, of course, is uh, Tennessee. That'll be tonight. Hopefully you can make it. If not, you can uh, you know, watch it at home. Going to be a big ball game, 8 p.m. tip. I don't think I'll make it back in time, so I will uh, – you know, rush back and, and probably watch the second half at home after being in Meridian. But uh, this is a huge, huge ball game, as you guys are well aware. 
And it's not just because it's the next game. It's because this could be the signature win for State. Am I optimistic about the game? I can't say that I am. I do think we have a chance to win this ballgame. I do think this could be a game, especially at our place, that we could rebound, and I think the crowd could make a big difference. And I know it's difficult to be here for 8 p.m. tip on a school night. I get it. I get it. But this is one. This is one of those ones, as Tech Nine would say. we got to find a way to make this thing happen. Now, you look at the schedule, you know, and you kind of know what's behind there, and things kind of soften up you know, for the next couple of weeks for us. But we need a marquee win. Tennessee, a team that's obviously expected to make the tournament. And if we could take them down at our place, that makes a big difference. We need to pad the resume a little bit, and I believe this is a good opportunity to do it. Let's take a quick look at the Tennessee basketball program. It seemed like a couple years ago we played them like, you know, two or three times every year. This is our long meeting this year. We we see them in the SEC tournament. But, um, you know, it has been a pretty good year for Rick Barnes and his squad. They're kind of quietly kind of flying under the SEC radar. You know, Kentucky and Auburn and those teams are kind of out there outrunning. But this this Tennessee team is very solid. 16-6 overall, 7-3 in the league. They've won two in a row. They have been outstanding there at Thompson Bowling Arena, though, 12-0. and 0. Three and four in true road games, you know, which is a respectable record. It's really difficult to get on the road in this league and, and uh, find a way to go get a W. And then one and two are on a neutral floor. So that makes them four and six away from Knoxville. So let's run down what it's looked like for them. Of course, they take care of UT Martin early on, big blowout game, blowout East Tennessee State. They lose to Villanova up in Uncasville, Connecticut, 71-53. They beat number 18, North Carolina, the next day like a drum, 89-72. Then, of course, they blow out Tennessee Tech. They blow out Presbyterian. They go into Boulder, Colorado, and they win there 69-54. They lose in overtime at Texas Tech, and we know how good Texas Tech is. Now, I think Texas Tech is even better today than they were back then. But that was in a Jimmy V Classic, and Tennessee loses in overtime to Texas Tech, 57-52. Then they blow out UNC Greensboro. That's a 40-point game right there. South Carolina Upstate, another big blowout there, 40-plus, 44 points. Their game with Memphis was canceled. I don't know who was happiest about that, probably Memphis. They beat Arizona, number six Arizona at the time, in Thompson Bowling, 77-73, to close out the non-conference schedule. They get an SEC play, first thing they do is they go into Tuscaloosa and lose, 73-68. They beat Ole Miss, 66-60. There were many people that thought Ole Miss was going to win that game, and they probably should have at times, but Tennessee a little bit too composed down the stretch. Traveled LSU, get beat by 12. They hammer South Carolina by 20 there in Knoxville, and then they go to Lexington and get absolutely drilled, 107-79. They go to Vandy, win there 68-60. They host LSU at their place, beat them 64-50. Interesting little split there. Uh, they, they host Florida, win 78-71. They go to Texas, and of course, we talked about that. They had the one-point loss there in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. They host A&M, beat those guys by 10, and they beat South Carolina 81-57. And now here we are. Here we are. That's, that's your up-to-date look at what's happened with this Tennessee team. And you look out here and you say, there's not really a bad loss 
on the on the resume. This is a quality team. This is a team also too that has been uh, you know, kind of Jekyll and Hyde on the road. You've had some really lopsided losses to teams that were probably equal or better than you. You know that that Kentucky game really kind of jumps out. Looks like that was a statement game for Calipari and crew. But everything else has been pretty competitive. You know, unless it was Tennessee, the ones doing the beating. You know, I mean, there just there there hasn't been that big upset you look at and say, you know what, this is a team that had no business being able to play with Tennessee. And that's a Rick Barnes coach team. Other people, uh, Texas got sick of him, but uh, you know he's carved out a pretty good niche there in Knoxville and did a pretty good job. Let's take a look at the inside the numbers here. Look at the stats a little bit. Kind of get prepared for uh, for what is to come. This is a team too, pretty well balanced, pretty well balanced. It's a, there's some of these teams you look at and you say, you know what, if, if we can take this guy away and make somebody else beat us. We can win the game. You know, this is a Tennessee team that, uh, yeah, they've got a couple double-digit scores, but they're pretty pretty balanced after that. You know, there's not a huge drop-off. Uh, Santiago, Santiago Vascova, Vascovi. Uh, I'm really not really good with these basketball games, names, I'll be honest with you. Um, he's the dude. 13.9 points per game leads them, of course, with 306 points. Also pretty good defensive guy as well, 41 steals. 71 assists to 36 turnovers, three-point shooting. Uh, this is where you got to be careful with a guy like him. 66 of 170, that's right at 39%. He's also a pretty good free-throw shooter. Pulls down four and a half boards a game. Kennedy Chandler, kind of the quarterback of the offense, right? 106 assists to 56 turnovers. That's not a really good ratio there. That's still a ton of assists. He's averaging 13.2 points a game playing 30.2 minutes as well. Not a very prolific free throw shooter, but kind of efficient in his efforts, 32.5%. You know, just looking at this team, you know, it's like... Bulldog fans, many of us grew up in a time we didn't lock our doors. We didn't feel the need to. We didn't have a need to. But the world is a much different place today than it was when we were much younger. Surely you've seen your neighbors have these video doorbells and things of that nature. You can have the same peace of mind, but also the convenience that you grew up with, with our friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y. Very, 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 very simple product here. Very easy to install, and you set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. No drilling required, no power tools, anything like that. You get the keyless entry. You don't have to fumble around with the keys when you got your hands full. You never have to worry about your kids losing their keys. Or perhaps you've got a rental property and you worry about people passing that key around. You also don't have the anxiety of having this battery that goes down on you. It's Guys, you got four months of power here. And you get a low battery notification before it runs out so you can charge it back up. It's pretty simple. There's no monthly fee, unlike a lot of other brands that charge you that fee. You can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. Uh, Eufy is also on standby for you 24-7. And you can get a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or even live chat, which is awfully, awfully convenient. And here's the thing. There's just so much out there in the world these days. Wouldn't it be nice to know maybe who visited your door when you're out or perhaps have the 
security of knowing that you've got video surveillance anytime somebody comes to your door? We absolutely can. Make sure that you look for Eufy Video Lock. That's visit E-U-F-Y official.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete troll of your door. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You start running through these numbers and you say, okay, well, this guy leads in this category, and then another guy leads in this category, another guy leads in this category, and it, it's concerning. It'd be one thing if you had a superstar kind of doing it all, but there are a lot of guys on this team, obviously, they're making a very positive contribution. You start looking at the rebounds. You know, there's, there's none of that that really just jumps out, and you say, okay, this is the guy that kind of leads the, the squad because it, it appears that everybody's on the glass. The leading rebounder, and again, I'm going to butcher this name, it's Olivier uh, Nakamoa, I'm, I'm, I apologize to your your parents. I'm sure I got that wrong. But it's 124 rebounds for him. Josiah Jordan-James, 108. John Fulkerson, 96. Uh, Vescovi, 99. I mean, it's like you look at this and there's just not one guy dominating any statistical category. This is a very well-balanced team, similar to what we saw with Texas Tech. I don't know that Tennessee has the same length and girth, the Texas Tech did, and you can see those two teams played, you know, head-to-head and went in overtime. But, you know, when I look at these numbers, it concerns me just because of the fact there's nobody, not anybody you can really turn loose. You've got guys that can hurt you. you got guys at every spot on the floor that can score. Uh, we talked about Olivier earlier, 8.6 points a game. Uh, Josiah Jordan, 8.1. Zakai Ziegler, 8 points a game. Fulkerson, seven and a half. You know, you start running these things down and you realize that this is not a one-man team. This is a team. And that's one of the reasons they're headed to the NCAA tournament. Looking at some team numbers here. You know, shooting 43.7% as a team. That'll usually get it done. Uh, 41.4% for their opponents. Shooting right at 35% from the three-point line. Uh, right at 70% as a team from free throw shooting. Pulling down 36.6 boards a game. That's a, that's a plus three for them. Handing out 374 assists and then allowing 253. It's a team basketball game. It is. Turnovers, they've only committed 280, but they have uh, forced 383. 
So we're plus 103 in turnovers. That'll get it done, too. 100 blocks for the team allowed just 60. 219 steals allowed 153. So you start looking through these numbers, and you begin to realize that you know, they're plus in everything. They shoot better than their opponents. They're better from three. They're better at the free throw line. They out-rebound them. They share the basketball better. They don't turn it over as much. It's a good basketball team. And because of that, if we beat them, it's going to be one of those games you look at and say, hey, that was the difference in us making the tournament or not. Because we can maybe piecemeal this thing together. You know what I'm saying? You like you start thinking, okay, well, we can beat all the teams we're expected to beat. And maybe we get in. But if we want to make sure we get in, we've got to win games like this. This is a golden opportunity uh, for Mississippi State. Of course, Tennessee at 74 and a half points a game. Again, I don't know that we win a game in the 70s. I think we've got to make them play our game and slow things down a little bit because offensively, we're just not a team that's going to score in bunches. We're, you know, every so often, we'll get loose on somebody. By and large, we're kind of a half-court offense. We're going to dribble it around, and then um, if we can't get Iverson to the lane or find a quick you know, dish underneath, you know, we're probably going to take an ill-advised three. But this is a team, too, that I think that um, – is capable of hurting us with that shot selection. We've got to be able to take good shots. We've got to be able to make shots when they're there. But we start turning the basketball over to this team, a team that uh, is .47 ahead. So you're basically five more turnovers, and they're a team that turns turnovers into points. That could be a difference in this ballgame. We've got to take care of the basketball. Absolutely have to take care of the basketball. You look at the conference numbers, too. You know, there's some people you say, well, when you get into conference play, no, there have been some of these guys that have really elevated their game in conference play. Uh, Vescovi, we talked about him, 15.7 points now. You know, so he's up over his season average now that we're in conference play. Kennedy Chandler, 12.9. You know, so these guys are doing what they're supposed to do, you know, when the lights are shining the brightest. You know, in conference play, the numbers still favor them in every single statistical category. It's pretty remarkable to look at. I guess when you look at field goal percentage in league play, Kentucky kind of skewed the numbers a little bit uh, for you know shooting percentage because Kentucky absolutely lit them up. But you're talking uh, you know four and a half points a game differential between them and their opponents in league play. I can't say that I expect us to win the game. I hope we win the game. I think we're capable of winning the game. I think having a chance to play at home in front of your own crowd could be a big difference difference in this in this ball game. But I'm concerned about the ball game, and I think that I've echoed that pretty much in every comment that I've made about this. But this is, to me, you know, Mississippi State's really last realistic chance to have a marquee win down the stretch. I just, you know, you say, well, Steve Auburn's coming in. Yeah, you're right, and that's a terrible matchup for us because they're so good from the perimeter. And yeah, that's a possibility. But what's happened is some of the teams ahead of us, you know, have kind of lost a little bit of their luster. And, of course, after this one, you got eight games remaining, five of those eight on the road. So, yeah, should we beat Vanderbilt? Yep. Should we beat Missouri? Yep. Should we beat South Carolina? Yep. But it's so hard to go on the road and win in this league, you can't take any of that stuff for granted. So when I look at the schedule, and I'm sure you guys have been kind of counting games with me, you start thinking this is, this is the one that we've kind of been thinking, you know what, we got a shot here. 14-8 and eight overall and 5-4 and four in the league. You start counting these games down, and I'll be honest with you, I think we're looking at probably 17, 18 wins, and I don't know if that's enough. 
you probably could get in with 18 if you get the right 18. I still believe we have the talent to get there. And I think in order for us to do that, we need to get a ball game in, our, in the win column tonight against the University of Tennessee. If we lose tonight, you know, my confidence in our ability to make the tournament is going to wane a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. And you say, well, Steve, you just said you don't expect us to win the game. And I don't. But my hope is maybe if we don't, we can pick up a win down the stretch here against LSU or Alabama on the road. And we haven't been able to do that yet. And I t- mentioned to you guys after the Texas Tech game, the next five games are going to be important. But we couldn't be staring one and four in the face. We, c- we couldn't go one and four in the stretch and realistically expect to make the tournament. So right now we're one and one in that decisive stretch, stretch with three games left. You've got to find a way to get a couple wins in these next three ball games. Let's turn to the top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler, longtime friend of mine. Could be a longtime friend of yours. And it pays to have a friend in the business. Whenever you're doing something that perhaps is uh, a little difficult, a little complicated, and you need somebody sometimes to hold your hand and help you navigate through, you know, the pitfalls of, uh, of life. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage, now's a good time. You never know what's going to happen with interest rates in this economy. There's lots going on, you know, with government regulations and things like that. You never know what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Take advantage of that perhaps right now. Refinance your home, pay off some debt, lower your overall monthly payments. Maybe put some money in your savings. Maybe put some uh, money in your home. Maybe do some improvements. Maybe put in a pool, pay for a wedding. Who knows? All that stuff's important. And sometimes you think, you know what, how are we ever going to afford to do this? Well, maybe you go out and you get a, a small second mortgage and you, you take care of that and be able to pay that debt back at a lower rate. Or maybe you're looking to buy a home for the first time. Maybe you've been turned down before. Give Blair a chance to take care of you. This is a guy that's dealt with a lot of atypical borrowers over the years. A lot of non-conforming loans. And when those things happen, let's say you're a little bit unique you need somebody with a unique approach. You need somebody that can get you taken care of. And that's Blair Chandler. Again, that's closeofblair.com. Let me give you Blair's cell number. It's 601-500-2344. That's 601-500-2344. And be sure and tell him you heard about him on the boneyard, and he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a five dollars to $600 value. Be sure and take advantage of that. No matter what school you cheer for, you mentioned the Blair. You heard about it on the boneyard, whether it be in text or email or whatever. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That guy wants your business. Be sure and give it to him. Closewithblair.com. All right, today's top ten list recommended by the one and only Stan Man from Campus Bookmart. I was there, of course, last week signing some books for those guys. And Stan said, hey, you know, Steve, I enjoy all the rock stuff. I do. I enjoy the eclectic taste that you have and the... The knowledge you have of obscure 80s hair bands. But for our older crowd, or perhaps our crowd that enjoys Motown, could you do The Temptations? And so we're going to do the top 10 Temptations songs today. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I am confident I am not going to mention one of your favorites. Because I mean, these guys have, what, 40 albums? It's ridiculous, the, the, the girth of their catalog. So I've got 10. You may, uh, you may like a lot of songs that I'm unfamiliar with. But I know the hits. 
I know what I like. I know that these guys are ultra-talented. One of the most iconic recording acts, regardless of genre, in American music. The choreography, the harmonies, incredible. So stand to man, this is for you and for your generation. And, and little did you guys know that your athletic director, John Cohen, also a big Motown guy. So hope you guys enjoy the list. So number 10, actually one of their last major hits. I don't know if you knew this, the Temptations were the last Motown act to win a Grammy. It was for this song, Cloud Nine. As music changed, the Temptations changed a little bit, still kind of true you know, to who they were. But the music around them, the tracks, got a little more layered, I guess you could say, and this is one of them. Again, Cloud Nine, number 10. Kind of a song about, uh, you know, growing up and not having a whole lot, but still being happy with life. You know, wherefore I am, I shall be content. Number nine, I know I'm losing you. Everybody's heard that song before. It may not be as recognized as, as some of the classics, but that's one. I remember being a kid and watching, remember K-Tel, right? The K-Tel would take these compilation albums and it'd be the Temptations' greatest hits and they'd have them up there dancing and performing. And this is one of those songs too that was always kind of mentioned in those ads. And I think this is maybe in some ways kind of an underappreciated classic. Number eight, I Wish It Would Rain. This is a great, great, great emotional song. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, the Temptations were good at is it wasn't just the good time and stuff. You know, it wasn't just the happy, upbeat, you know, kind of snappy stuff. It's they did, they did, they, there's some blues elements in what they do. And I think it's incredible. I think this may be the best indicator of that. So I wish it would rain. Very, 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 very emotional song. Number seven, just my imagination. Running away with me. I'm not going to sing it. I don't know that I could do it justice, but, uh, that's one that everybody knows too, and I think really when we get down to the, you know, the top half of this list, everybody would probably be in agreement. These are the classic Temptations tracks. We may disagree on the order, but just my imagination. Number seven, number six, and I, and I love this one. When I was a radio DJ years ago, when the Temptations would come up, sometimes I would, I would skip to this song. You know, like even like so. Well, okay, the the card says play this album this track sometimes i would just skip it and go to this one as papa was a rolling stone i love that bass line in the beginning it's infectious man and it's different it's different than a lot of other things in the catalog and again i think that's the beauty in artists like the temptations that have this you know long career is they get a chance to kind of dip into the repertoire and do some things that uh are a little different you know they just don't have their own lane they just kind of expand their lane and do what they want to do and papa was a rolling stone of course that's uh you know wherever he laid his hat was his home and when he died all he left us was alone i mean that's incredible lyricism right there number five the way you do the things you do we talk about snappy and upbeat here you go you know this is one of those songs it, it almost it's so ingrained in american culture it almost feels like a nursery rhyme you know what I'm saying? It's like, and we all know it. And it's like you go through it and you hear it. And it sounds like one of those sing-song children's songs that just kind of lifts you up a little bit. It's very uplifting. Number four, 
I can't get next to you. The, to me, this is one of those ones, like when, when I see those live performances, this is the one that always seems like brings out the best choreography. I can't get next to you. It's, it's again, it's a, it's a song of unrequited love. You know, I, I can't get next to you. I want to. I like you. You're beautiful. I think you're interesting, but I don't have a shot. We've all been there. Number three, and again, this is one of those ones that I mean, it's probably been featured in hundreds of movies, TV shows. It's Get Ready, because here I come. It's like another one of those songs from the very beginning. You know, those horns kick in, and it's like this is, this is something different. And that's one of the things I love about The Temptations, too, and I don't listen to them a lot. I'll admit that. When I was younger, I did. You know, my parents listened to them. And so, but the use of horns, like sometimes in some R&B Classic R&B, it's overused. I think they use it appropriately, The Temptations. Like, it's not a huge part of every single song. But when they use it, it's very tastefully done. I think this is a very classic use of that. Number two, we've all been here too. Ain't Too Proud to Beg. I don't mean the TLC version, even though I love that one too. Ain't Too Proud to Beg. It's so great. It's so great. You know, it's like... It's like this gentleman caller or whatever, you know. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm going to humble myself here because you're just so beautiful and so amazing. I'm so smitten with you. You know, I'll beg and plead if I have to. But number one, and I think, I think most people would agree this is number one. You probably know where I'm going. It's my girl. The, it, the harmonies on this are just beautiful. I mean, every step of the way, everything about the song. We talk about having some perfect songs in, in American music. This is one of them. This is one of those songs that everybody knows, everybody has an appreciation for, and in some respects probably has felt at some point in their life. It's my girl. That's your number one temptation song. So, Stan, I hope I did the list justice. Hope you enjoy listening to the list. And we talk about, you know, where music is today. You know, the roots of R&B. You know, we talk about the Delta Blues scene and that sort of stuff. But a lot of the, even that, you know, was kind of the precursor of what the Temptations and the Four Tops, uh, Jackie Wilson and people like that, you know, Smokey Robinson, you know, brought. And there are a lot of people that still try to, to kind of capture that Motown vibe and, you know, that late 60s and early 70s uh, type doo-wop. I almost should call it that way. It's almost disrespectful to call it that. But uh, the reality of it is is all of the R&B music you hear today has roots in this. It all started here. And in many respects, it probably started for, uh, like it did for a lot of us, is, you know, when it was Saturday morning and time to clean up the house, you know, Mama put on a record, on a record player. You turn the TV off and everybody pitched in and cleaned up the house. And, you know, it brings back so many fond memories. And, and I know that uh, Stan had mentioned, you know, hey, Steve, we got a lot of older guys that would probably love to hear your take on the Temptations. Well, I hope I did it justice. So there you go. And so on Friday, we'll get back to the rock. We'll have some rock. So today is Stan the Man Day. Stan's a big Temptations guy. Stan came to me and said, hey, Steve, what, what do you think? So Stan, here you weren't, weren't expecting it, but here it is. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart and Stan the Man. How about that? That's a nice little segue. Stan the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. Loved him to death. They're like family to me. Ms. Pam Minyard works there now. Love her, too. Everybody up there will love you, too. Go by there because in their minds, you're family. Go by and see them. Check them out. 
see the latest in Mississippi State maroon and white merch, whether it be something for your home, your office, your, your vehicle, your pet, your grandchild. If you need it, they have it. If not, they can get it. And maybe you can't make it to town. Maybe you live in, uh, you know, a foreign land, you know, somewhere like Arkansas or something. Uh, and so you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net and shop online. And they do a great job updating the online catalog. You know, when I'm in there sometimes, like, oh, get us up on the website. Do this, do that. You know, they're very good about keeping that thing accurate. And follow them on social media, too. There's a lot of new arrivals that appear there first. That's campusbookmart.net. And use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And, and listen, I know we've got some better weather today, but it isn't going to stay this way. It's going to be windy, going to be cool. These early baseball games, you need a hoodie. You'll be glad you have one. Campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's take a look at the women. It feels like it's been forever since they played. You know, and that's what happens like when, when, you're, when you're winning. You know, it's like you, you want to keep playing because you're in the, in the zone. You know, and the women have played pretty well here as of late. And uh, need to continue to play well. I don't know if you saw yesterday, um, you know, Charlie Crean, the guy, Crean, that, that, uh, the expert when it comes to women's basketball bracketology, has the Bulldogs as one of the last four in the dance. How, how about that? Did you ever see that coming with all the turmoil that's been this year? No, we're not there yet. But the bottom line is, is we're right there firmly on the right side of the bubble Need to get a couple more W's and we can stay there. Got the opportunity to do it for sure. It's exciting. I mean, the head coach has to resign for personal matters. Leading scorer leaves. We lose another player for an ACL tear for the year. And now here we are. Now, it's fun to get out here and dream. It's a difficult stretch down, you know, for sure for Mississippi State. We start looking at what's left. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to earn it. There are some winnable games here, but there are a lot of toss-ups here that are really going to define the season. Got to win our share of those to make sure we stay in the tournament field. There's not a lot of games I look at and say, you know what, that's a sure loss, though. Maybe at Tennessee. Maybe that's the one you look at and say, you know what, that's probably one uh, maybe a little bit tough to go up there and win there. But you look at the rest of them and say, you know what, if we play up to our potential, got a chance to win. LSU here, going to be tough. Ole Miss here, going to be tough. But we'll see. We'll see how it shakes loose. But today, let's talk about Florida. That'll be a 5.30 p.m. tip. That's Thursday evening. That'll be an SEC Network Plus game. Be sure and check that out. Of course, if you're in the in the area, come by and check us out. It's a 5.30 tip. If you live within the northern Mississippi area, you got a chance to come to the ball game and get home at a decent, decent hour. I know some of you folks get up with the chickens. You can go to bed with them, too. Come watch a ball game. So let's look at uh, what the Lady Gators have uh, have done this year. You know, there was, there was a time we used to play them annually too. Uh, it seems like during the Vic Schaefer years, we played them home and away every year, it seemed. But um, we'll get one shot at them this year. They have not been very good in recent years. They are much better this year. Much better. 17-6 and six overall and 7-3 and three in the conference. So, again – this is a game that's here that could be a resume-building opportunity for Mississippi State. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think we're going to win the game. I think we're going to win the game. Even though Florida has actually been a pretty good road team, 
five and two in true road games and three and one on the neutral floors. So it makes them eight and three, you know, away from uh, the O'Connell Center. I just feel like that now that we've had a chance to maybe rest up a little bit and kind of get fresh in our gym, I think we're going to win. All right, let's take a look at what Florida's done this year on the women's side. Uh, they lose their first game of the year in ridiculously surprising fashion. That Towson takes them down 87-70. And then, of course, they lose the next game in the preseason women's NIT, 85-52 to North Carolina State. They salvage a win over Wofford, 61-47. They get back on track, and they, they put together a nice little winning streak here. They take down Grand Point State, South Carolina Upstate, St. Louis, George Washington. They lose to George Mason, 75-71. They go to TCU in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and they win. Pretty impressive win, too, 63-54. They take down Dayton in the O'Connell Center by three. Beat Florida State by 14. Route Murray State. And then we were supposed to play them to open the SEC schedule, if you remember, on December 30th. And there were some COVID issues. Game better be postponed. So they open and lose the first two games of the SEC slate. And we were thinking, man, how great would it have been to play that one? They lose to Georgia, 73-69. They lose to Ole Miss in Gainesville, 74-56. And they were all kind of thinking, yeah, it's the same old Florida. But they responded. Give them credit. They go to A&M, and they beat A&M 97-89. They take care of Auburn, 68-63. They go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama, 85-77. They blow out Kentucky at their place, 77-52. They beat LSU in Florida, 73-72, which is probably the biggest win of the year. They give South Carolina a decent game. They lose 62-50. to They beat the Lady Vols 84-59. That's a pretty gaudy score uh, considering the competition. Tennessee was ranked number seven at the time. And then they beat Georgia 54-51. So they are one two in a row against ranked opponents and four of the last five against ranked opponents with the one loss being South Carolina. They're playing their best basketball of the year. I still think we have a chance to win this ballgame. And maybe it's just me being a bit of a homer. Maybe it is. Maybe I just want the dream to come true. This is a Florida team, though, that is playing pretty well. I think it's one of those things, too, where I think our ladies believe they can compete. Belief is a difficult thing. You know, when somebody believes they can beat you, more times than not, they do. If they truly believe in their heart, hey, we're better than them, we're going to find a way to do it. They find a way to get it done. Looking inside the numbers here, I'm looking forward to talking to college baseball. The next segment of the show is college baseball. I'm looking forward to that. All right, team stats. So Florida has a 5.3 scoring uh, plus differential for them. They're averaging a nice 69 points per game. They're allowing 63.7. So 5.3 difference. So, again, not a high-scoring team. You know, we're comfortable in the 60s. They're comfortable in the 60s. Uh, they're a team that's shooting it pretty well, too, 41%, allowing just 39%. So pretty even there in that respect. Uh, three-point shooting, they will put it up. They've attempted 400 three-pointers, 400 three-point shots on the year, made 123, averaging just around 31%. And then they've allowed around that same percentage, but 
opponents are only shooting about 300 on the year. So, you know, Florida's out shooting their opponents by 100 three-point attempts per game on the season. Per game would be, would, would be some kind of record. Pardon me. Um, so they make 5.3 a game. They allow four. So just enough to kind of keep you honest. Pretty good free throw shooting team at 73%. Uh, looking at rebounding, it's basically, you know, an even deal here. Uh, I think they're up one, 1.2, 39.3 rebounds a game, allowing 38.1. And this is where we're going to have to do a good job, especially uh, especially in the post. And that's where you, you really miss Danae Carter. You really, really, really miss her. Well, I hope her for quick recovery for her. Now, they shared a basketball pretty well, 13.1 assists a game, allow 10.3. Um, looking at turnovers, this is where assist-to-turnover ratio is really kind of minuscule here. I mean, it's like you look at all this stuff, you look at these numbers, uh, they're, they're a team that uh, turns it over a good bit, and then they force a good bit of turnovers. So Florida turned it over 16 and a half times a game and then forced in 17-8. So we're basically one. So they're giving it away as much as they're taking it away. And that's where I think Maya Taylor can be a difference in this ball game. They've stolen it 215 times, allowed 190, a difference of one. So this is a team, you, you look at that gaudy record and you think, man, this is a team that's probably dominating. And they're really, they really haven't. They're a really, really good team, though. And they've, played, they've shown that in recent weeks. They're, you know, they're trending towards the tournament. They're trying to get there just like we are. And you know as well as I do, they're looking at this ball game and saying, hey, this is one we have to have. The names you should know, Kiara Smith averaging 14.9 points per game. That's a big one. Uh, Lavender Briggs averaging 12.5, but uh, hasn't played much as of late. I don't know if she's still with the program. Uh, Jordan Merritt has started 13 games, averaging 10.8. Uh, Zippy Broughton. That's a nice name, Zippy. I think if I got another kid, I would name her Zippy. Or he's Zippy. Kind of like that zippy. Wonder what it's short for. Wonder what it stands for. Zippy's a cool name. We need more zippies in the world. I am really going to think about this. All right, so zippy averaging eight and a half points a game. Nina Rickards uh, seven points per game. And again, we talk about balance. They're getting scoring from five spots on the floor. Uh, Alberta Remdale is the sixth lady, averaging five point three points. Uh, has played in all twenty three games. Hasn't started any. Been pretty efficient the time that she comes out shooting 42.6%. And one of the more prolific three-point shooters on the team, 24 of 68. Her 68 attempts leads the team. This is a young lady coming off the bench, kind of as a three-point marksman, a markswoman. However, I need to say that. But um, 24 of 68, only one of the players, that's Jordan Merritt, has made more and shoots the three-pointer more prolifically. So when she comes in the ball game, when number five comes in, you can expect that she's going to be chunking it from the cheap seats for sure. Uh, but, again, this is a very talented team and uh, eager to see how we handle it. And I can't promise you I know what's going to happen in this ball game. And I just – maybe, maybe again, maybe I just want this to happen so bad I'm just trying to speak it into existence. I think we're going to win the game. I, I think we're going to win the game. I think the fact that we've had – you know, some time to rest up and recruit a little bit um, has been good for us. Maybe we're a little bit rusty early on, but I think if we can be within shooting distance at the half, 
I think we've got a really good chance to win this ball game. And again, I know how well they played us late, but if you go back and look, a lot of that stuff has been at the O'Connell Center. Kentucky has kind of fallen on hard times as of late. Uh, and then they've won three in a row. Excuse me, they played three of those difficult games in the O'Connell Center. You know, the, the, the win at Georgia is impressive, 54-51. But that's the thing about women's basketball. We talk about parity. There's a big difference between the haves and the have-nots. But there's a, also, there's a whole lot of those teams that are kind of fall in between there. And there's a lot of parity in women's basketball in the SEC. And so this is a chance for us to kind of take full advantage of that, and we'll see. A lot of people are getting behind Doug Novak. Uh, I continue to hear that um, he is not a, consider- a, a serious candidate for the job. And I don't think that's an indictment on him. I just think what you'd like to do, you hired him uh, to come in and be an assistant coach to help on the offensive end, and then he's kind of thrown in this position, and he's made the best of it. He really has. But I don't think it was ever intended to be a long-term solution. I think it's you go get an established women's basketball coach that has recruiting relationships and that you know that's the thing you see you know Doug's a great motivator you could hire some people around him maybe you could they're kind of putting this thing together as they go they're doing the best they can and it says a lot about Doug Novak but I think you bring in somebody that already is an established women's coach that already has recruiting relationships among the AAU programs because what this team is going to need is an influx of talent in order to get that you've got to have relationships and when you bring in a guy like Doug Novak from the men's side to coach your offense, he doesn't have those same level of relationships. And that's not an indictment on him. I just think this was kind of a a short-term fix, and it's working out better than maybe we had hoped. I think a lot of people felt this was going to be a throwaway season for us. And then yet here we are now with a chance to make the tournament. But I think this could be a huge win. And then, of course, if we win this ballgame, the Doug Novak bandwagon is going to gain some more members. You know, And so, again, I can't say that I would be totally opposed to it. I just, based on what I'm hearing – I think this is a one-and-done type situation for Doug. Now, we get hot and play our way into the tournament, make a little bit of a run. I mean, I think, hey, you owe it to yourself, and maybe you owe it to Doug to say, you know what, let's revisit this. But I think ideally what you'd like to do is to bring in somebody that is familiar with the women's game, that the women's game knows them as well. This is a person that has established recruiting relationships because this is a very unforgiving league. As you guys know, once you get down, it's tough to get back up. So – We've been kind of treading water for a while, and while this season has been a pleasant surprise in many respects, I think what's best for us long term is to have an established coach. And so we'll see how things progress. But um, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think Doug's going to get the job. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico, our good friend Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog Brooks Bryan. Brooks is a good dude, man. He is. If you've ever spent some time around Brooks, his – his love and admiration for all things Mississippi State is infectious. I mean, you can't be around Brooks and not want to be a Diamond Dog. He's just one of those kind of people that loves Mississippi State. He's one of our, our great fans and also a guy that wore the uniform. So he has a unique perspective. He wants to make Starkville, Mississippi State, a better place. Part of a great group bringing this wonderful residential development to the greater Starkville area. It's Portico. Very easy to find. You turn off of 82 on a 12, like going towards campus, the very first right, Pat Station Road, they'll take you to Portico. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two now under development. 
you ought to ride out there and take a look. Maybe next time you come to campus, say, take a few extra minutes, ride through there and take, take a look yourself. You say, you know what? I'd love to live here. And you would. If I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I would move. And you say, well, Steve, why not move there now? Well, it's a little difficult to do once you're settled. But those of you looking to make a move, you, you're going to not do better than Portico. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath house, three-bedroom, three-bath house, four-bedroom, four-bath house. And here's the deal, because phase two is just now beginning construction, you can pick out your lot and you can have a say in the plans for that home. You can have kind of get it the way you want it, kind of like Burger King. Get it your way. Give Brooks a call today for more information, 601-416-8075. Again, 601 416 8075. Make Portico your next move. Now, I allocated more time for this segment of the show because I love talking college baseball. You, you may have learned that about me. I love college baseball. I do. Probably love college baseball the most. I love college baseball more than a friend. I do. And maybe it's because we've had such great success in college baseball in my lifetime. And really in our history, we are a baseball school. I know some people, Steve, you shouldn't say that. It's true. We are a baseball school. We've committed incredible amount of resources to college baseball. We have had one of the most dedicated fan bases in the country when it comes to college baseball. And we do baseball right here at Mississippi State. And I wrote about that in the book, too. We do baseball right. We have a respect for the game. We respect our opponents, too. That's the thing, too. That One of the things that I love about our fan base is, you know, football, sometimes things can be a little petty and argumentative. You know, it's like when, when we, we see that an opponent in another team in our conference or a college baseball program that we respect, they've lost a player. When you look in the mentions, when, like, they announce so-and-so is done for the year, you'll see a ton of Mississippi State people offering their well wishes for a quick recovery for that player. We saw it even last year uh, with Ole Miss. You know, Gunnar Hogland that pitched for Ole Miss, that guy's really, really good. He came in here, we beat him, and, you know, we're like, hey, we, we beat those guys at their strength. You know, Gunnar was still pitching pretty well, and we beat him, and next thing you know, he's on the shelf. But even though that it was Ole Miss, our people were like, man, you hate to see that happen. And you do. I mean, not that you ever wish success for your rival, but you don't ever want to see anybody get injured, especially somebody ultra-talented with a pro, football, pro baseball future ahead of them. You, know, you, you hate to think that perhaps that they've had an injury that will impact them and that it lasts, that the results of that are long-lasting. Of course, it worked out. He ended up being a first-rounder anyway. But I respect the fact that our fans respect the game and respect our opponents. And I've got a lot of respect for Mike Bianco and, and that Ole Miss baseball program. I think the football program is absolutely rotten. I mean, I, I think it's rotten to the core. I think the culture surrounding the Ole Miss football program has always been rotten and always will be. But I respect that Ole Miss baseball program. I do. I respect Mike Bianco. I think when Dan McDonald was there, Dan McDonald changed college baseball in the state of Mississippi. And we had to react to that. You know, Bianco hired him. It was a tremendous hire. And you look at what Dan's done uh, at Louisville. You know, he took basically an also-ran program has made them a regular contender. They didn't make the tournament last year. They will this year. <laughs> they will this year. Dan's an incredible recruiter. And I uh, had a chance to visit with him some in Omaha. And I'm just so impressed with the guy. I mean, really, really impressed. And you can see why John Cohen targeted him. And you, you may know this, you know, Dan McDonald's one of the people that really pushed for Chris Limonis. Those guys are really, really close. And so 
Dan McDonald wore a maroon shirt to Omaha. Wouldn't wear the M over S, and I don't blame him because everybody would take that picture, of course, and it would circulate and hurt him on the recruiting trails. But because of his love and respect for Chris Lamonis, he wore a maroon shirt. If I, if I remember correctly, I think his wife may have had a Mississippi State shirt on. Maybe, maybe. I don't know if I remember that correctly. But either way, they're very, very close. And uh, Dan also confirmed what Lamonis has always said. They'll never schedule each other as a non-conference opponent. If we ever play each other, it's going to be in the postseason because of their love and respect for each other. But also, too, you know, they don't, they don't want to hurt each other, you know. And uh, that's really cool. So there is just something different about college baseball. And I think maybe it's the fact that so many of us played baseball in our lifetimes. You know, and maybe we didn't play travel team baseball. Maybe we didn't play high school baseball. But we all developed a love for the game. And I love college baseball. And I love the fact that we're one of the best teams in the country. But also, too, we play in the best conference in the, in the country. And uh, we follow these other teams. And so today, we're going to do our first segment in a two-part series previewing the SEC season. Today, we're going to look at the SEC East. On Friday, we'll look at the SEC West. And, of course, this is brought to you by our good friends uh, at Portico. So, uh, the number seven team to me in the East is easily going to be Missouri. You can say, well, Steve, you know, Missouri beat us. Yes, they did. They absolutely did beat us last year. Uh, they actually had some dudes on that team. They just kind of struggled to find some pitching. But when they came into Duty Noble Field, they were swinging it. We didn't pitch it exceptionally well. And, and here's the deal with that, too. Even some of our players, and you'll read about this in Dogpile, we took it for granted. We absolutely just thought, hey, all we got to do, we got a chance to win the SEC. If we just show up, win this series, we're going to win the SEC. We certainly could have. And what do we do? We lose the series. We should have swept those guys. We didn't. You know, but looking back at last year, Yes, Missouri team, obviously this is, uh, you know, a series that we look back. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, it was one of the more difficult chapters to write and dogpile just because it just didn't make any sense. But that's the beauty of college baseball, right? The absolute beauty of college baseball is the fact that on any given day, anybody can win. Uh, Steve Beezer is the head coach there, and Steve needs to win this year. And they're not going to. This will be his, I guess, his fifth year at Missouri maybe a sixth, but, uh, you know, this is a guy from SEMO. You know, we saw those guys, you know, they came in here and played in a regional several years ago when he was with SEMO, and they were an outstanding team then, an outstanding team. I guess he took over in 2017, uh, so you can kind of do the math from there, but um, they really hadn't done great. You know, 17, it, they've kind of regressed each year. You know, 36 and 23, 34 and 22, 34 and 22, then 11 and 5 in the 2020 year. And then last year, in the 2021 year, 15 and 36. And two of those 15 came against us. Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach. Eight and 22 in the conference. And again, two of those came against us. Pretty ridiculous. But, uh, you know, here's the deal. They've got some pieces there. They've got some guys that uh, have a little bit of buzz, I guess, in the draft circles. You, know, you look at this uh, you know, 2022 deal, they don't look like a really veteran team. They kind of were last year in some spots. This is a young team. And they, one of the things they did when they got there is they went out and, you know, tried to um, you know, hit the JUCO ranks pretty hard to win right away. It didn't work out. 
One of the guys that you guys may be familiar with is a guy that is expected to be drafted. He's actually a senior this year. He's out of Natchez, Mississippi. It's Josh Day, shortstop Josh Day. And this guy is legit. 6'2", 200 pounds. He's from Adams County Christian School uh, there in Natchez and by way of Kapiah Lincoln. And going to be one of the better shortstops in the league this year, certainly in the East. And uh, the East is loaded with middle infielders. But he's a guy that will probably be a really good team on a really bad – a really good player on a really bad team. And I don't know that there's enough people around him, you know, to uh, to maybe protect him. But this is a guy, too, that – I mean, you know, hey, if, if Josh Day played somewhere else, you know, he'd probably be a name that you're more familiar with. You know, last year, this is a guy that played in 44 games and started 43 of them at shortstop. He hit 306. Uh, early in the year, had a broken bone in his hand. We're all familiar with that, too. That happens. Uh, and then, you know, kind of hung in there and played played through that pain once he got back. Guy with a good eye at the plate, led the team in walks. But he's a dude. Don't let the fact that he plays at Missouri diminish your opinion of this guy. This guy can play. And there's a right-handed pitcher there that's got a little uh, draft buzz too, Austin uh, Morazas, I believe is how you pronounce that. Uh, this is another guy, too, that um, don't know what kind of run support he's going to have around him. Austin um, is 6'8", 230-pounder. He is a transfer from Charlotte. This is a guy, too, that uh, a lot of the – you know, there's a lot of talk about him uh, possibly being one of the top 50 to 60 players in the Southeastern Conference. And of course, he transfers in, um, you know, from Charlotte. So we'll see how things progress there. But that's, that's again, a, another junior college product from San Jacinto College, goes to Charlotte and um, beat Tennessee last year when he was at Charlotte. So he's a new addition there uh, to the program there at Missouri, uh, will likely be, you know, their main guy on the weekend. But that said – this is a Missouri team that is just not very good. They're not. Uh, they bet on junior colleges. It didn't rank. It didn't work out. They got a ton of transfers on this team. I mean, just kind of looking through this here, too. They got guys from Middle Tennessee. They got Charlotte, of course, Coastal Carolina, San Diego, Boise State, uh, Missouri Southern, Florida State. Uh, Nander DeSatis is there. It's an infielder by way of Panama City. Panama It's another guy, too, that um, – you know, we'll join that program looking to kind of shore some things up there. Started 131 games for Florida State. And now he's at Mizzou. So they're trying to find the quick fix again. I just don't think it's going to work out. I do think they'll be better than they were last year. I think they're still the worst team in, in the in the East. I think once we get into the uh, conference play, they're going to kind of be exposed. But you, you go back and look at this 2021 year. I mean, it was already a disaster before they got into conference play. They lost some midweek games that just, you know, kind of made you scratch your head. I mean, they they began the year losing uh, three out of four to Grand Canyon. That's how you begin your season, losing three out of four out in Phoenix, Arizona, to Grand Canyon. Then they, they, they split a series with Omaha. I'm not going to run through the whole schedule, but it's like it took them forever to kind of figure some things out. Then they had a four-game losing streak to Dallas Baptist, Oklahoma, and Arizona. So they'd scheduled pretty well. They just didn't win any games. They get an SEC play. They win the, for the first series at Lexington, Kentucky. And let me just tell you this, that's not going to happen this year. I, I, I believe Kentucky is going to take a step forward. 
Which brings me to number six. A lot of people are picking Kentucky sixth. I'm not. I'm picking South Carolina sixth. You can say, well, Steve, they made the tournament last year. They, they did, and they also had a lot, of, a lot of age on that team last year. You know, this is a team, too. This is a program, too, that a lot of the fans up there are starting to get um, a little impatient. It's a proud program. You know, they love college baseball there. And I'd like to say they love it as much as we do. I don't know that that's the case. But they're very proud of what they've been able to accomplish. And Ray Tanner, one of the most respected names in college baseball history, you know, wins back-to-back NAFL championships up there. And, and I'll be honest with you, I rooted for those guys, not just because of my respect for, for Ray Tanner, just because I believe it's best for the game. You know, when we have new champions in college baseball, I think it adds some real intrigue. I mean, you look at football, it's like you never get a new champion. It's the same teams every single year. Well, college baseball is completely different. You know, so when South Carolina, you know, put some things together, they were pretty good. And it gave us some hope like, hey, well, if South Carolina can do it, we can do it. Now we've done it. Hey, maybe we can go repeat. Well, they did it. Okay, so last year, South Carolina, 34-23 and 23, and 16-14 and 14 in the league. Uh, Andrew Eister, that, that guy – Every time we play him, he just seems to elevate his game. You know, that guy was absolutely legit. Of course, Wes Clark had a big home run on Sunday. Uh, one of their top returners is a guy that I really like, Braylon Wimmer. You get to know that name if you don't already, Braylon Wimmer. And they've got a couple pitchers, too, that uh, have a chance to be really good. You know, you look at what they had last year. You know, you had Tommy Farr and Brandon Jordan. And, uh, you know, Brett Carey was ridiculous for them out of the bullpen. Uh, He was a difference in the Sunday game. We still should have won the game. But, you know, we were about to run away with those guys, and they bring Brett Carey in because we blew them out in game two. They were able to kind of set their bullpen for game three. Uh, And Carey was outstanding. A name to be familiar with is Julian Bosnick, number 18 for them, left-handed pitcher Julian Bosnick. A lot of people think he's the guy that's ready to make the big jump. He's the guy that's ready to be the dude there. Um, so, you know, we'll see how things go with him. Um, but they've got some guys that are – they have some pieces. But I think when you look at what really produced for them last year, uh, those guys aren't back. Those are the things you look at. You, know, you begin to think, okay, what do they return from an offensive standpoint? How do you kind of piece together – you know, this this lineup. And, and I think that's going to be very difficult for them. Uh, Braylon Wimber, what's crazy, too, this is a guy at UConn, Oklahoma, right out of high school, 6'4", 200-pounder. This guy can really pick it and stick it. I really like his game. Uh, was just a sophomore for them last year, so he'll be draft eligible and probably a guy that will be a solid pick. I think he gets picked high enough to come out. But uh, hit two, 271 last year, 15 doubles, a triple, 11 home runs. He will be the centerpiece of that offense in many respects. I think they will kind of go as he goes. But, um, yeah, we'll see how things go with those guys. I just don't think there's just enough in this lineup that really scares you. you know, last year they had some guys that were really great, really, really great mistake hitters. And then Eister and those guys are gone. But um, – you know, we'll see how it goes. Now, a new addition to the team, a guy that's getting some buzz, is right-handed pitcher junior James Hicks. Transferred in from Crowder College. He's from Conway, Arkansas. 
You know, guys, that's where Central Arkansas is, and that's a pretty good baseball program there too. But he goes to Crowder College, which is a JUCO there in uh, Neosha, Missouri. They're expecting him to come in and be a guy that can um, kind of make some things happen for him. So he'll be a guy that will probably be a factor on the weekend, a 6'2", 190-pound right-handed pitcher. Again, a guy that's got some draft buzz. I just think there's just so many questions with South Carolina this year, and it's going to take a while to kind of figure the rotation out. And if anybody can ill afford to have an injury, it's a team like that. All right, so let's move up a little bit. You know, uh, let's talk Kentucky. I have them as number five, and I'm, I may be the only person in the college baseball media that has them fifth. I think a lot of people are going to pick them uh, behind South Carolina. Uh, I'm a Nick Mingione fan. Nick is a competitor, and I think in many respects teams take on, you know, the um, – you know, the persona of their coach. I think Nick will do a good job this year. I think Nick probably feels it a little bit, you know, that, hey, this is, we got to get it done. He's in season six there. You know, people forget, too, Nick was a guy that had, uh, you know, had a really good run there at the beginning. And they've had some injuries and some guys hadn't panned out. But, um, you know, the reality of it is Nick hadn't forgotten the game of baseball. He has got it's great with the short game. They end the year 29 and 23 and 12 and 18 in the conference. And you remember when they came to Starkville, they were riding high. They were really excited. You know, they had won, uh, you know, they had beaten, they had swept Auburn. A lot of people thought, hey, here they go. Now they're rolling because Auburn had some pieces back and they were kind of built to win last year. And Kentucky wins all three games. And the next thing you know, they come to Starkville and we sweep those guys. They beat Louisville and lose two out three to LSU. They, then they lose a series to Georgia. That's what Nick can afford to do. Is you can't start losing those series early in the year and kind of get behind the game because it's so unforgiving in this division, uh, in this conference. Then they win two out of three against Alabama and absolutely destroyed those guys in game three, 11 nothing in a, a doubleheader. Uh, they were competitive for a while against Tennessee. They win one, and sometimes we just kind of needed Kentucky to pick off somebody for us. They did. The, I think that the kind of the season-defining series for them where they get swept at home by South Carolina, it was a really loud series for them. But then late in the year, they pick off one, you know, from Vandy. So, you know, I, I still feel like there are some pieces on this team, and I think it all starts with Cole uh, – Stoop, I guess it's Stup or Stuck. I can't remember how to pronounce the kid's name. But anyway, that guy came in here and pitched really well against us last year, and he's a guy, too, that uh, gets a ton of ground balls. He gets good sync, uh, can throw his breaking ball for a strike, can change speeds on you a little bit. He is a guy that I think will be the centerpiece of that rotation. And, you know, Nick's a guy sometimes, too, that doesn't throw his best guy on Friday. You know, there was a time he would throw his ace on Sunday to make sure you can get a win somewhere. Uh, Cole Stup last year, 4-5 and five on the year. 13 starts, uh, 4.76 ERA. Didn't get a ton of run support, as you guys know. But he led them in innings pitch last year, 75 and two-thirds. So he is a veteran guy, uh, to say the least. 71 Ks against 15 uh, walks. The 71 Ks is a, a team high last year. But the main thing with him is just he gets you to beat the ball on the ground. And they'll have some guys. You know, they'll be able to kind of piece this thing together a little bit and, and make the whole thing competitive. Um, you know, last year, you know, Ryan Hagenau was supposed to be their guy and uh, just didn't work out maybe the way they had expected. But, um, you know, I think that Cole will be a guy we're going to look back at season's end and it's going to be kind of like the deal with uh, with Josh Day. It's like, 
you know, if this guy played on any other team, he may be in contention for all SEC. Now, the guy on Kentucky's defense and offense that I think you got to watch out for is uh, shortstop Ryan Ritter. This is another guy with a lot of draft buzz around him. Hit 275 last year. Uh, started all 52 games for them. Just 20 RBIs, but this is a guy, too, that um, you know, he is going to be a table setter in many respects, but defensively, uh, he is the guy to get things done. And eight of eight in stolen bases last year, very efficient in what he does. And that's Nick. Nick wants to challenge you with the running game as best he can. And there was a time there last year that, that, that Kentucky was stealing bases at a ridiculous, a ridiculous ratio. Um, you know, looking at some of these guys that are kind of bouncing around a little bit here, they're going to return some guys that are veterans that can run the bases. But, um, you know, when I look at some of these teams, like you think about – Okay, do you have a defined frontline starter on the weekends? Well, I think Kentucky does, you know, with Cole. And so we'll see how things go with them. I think they could sneak into the tournament. Now, a lot of it's going to depend on the non-conference. They can't get out there and afford to get shelled in a non-conference and drop some games they're not supposed to. But I think Nick and this group are going to get better. And uh, maybe that's, again, maybe I'm being a homer here because I want Nick to get better and I want Nick and him to have a good season. Uh but I believe that's going to be the case. And they're going to open up uh, next weekend at Jacksonville State. But a pretty manageable uh, non-conference schedule. I do like the fact that they have TCU coming to Lexington this year. And I, I do think TCU probably takes a step back, even with Kirk calling the, the plays now for those guys, you know, now that Slosh has moved on. You know, TCU, though, has recruited well over the years. So if Kentucky can get that series win – that is going to be huge for them down the stretch. And uh, they open up at Arkansas, so you, you, you know how much fun that is. But um, you know, looking at the schedule here real quick, though, we talk about, you know, sure tournament teams. You know, they got Georgia coming to Lexington. They got Ole Miss coming to Lexington. They do go to Missouri, and I think they'll get that. I, I think they'll get that. They have Vanderbilt coming to Lexington. They have Tennessee coming to Lexington. Auburn comes to Lexington. So you, you've got a lot of great opportunities to play in your venue against quality teams to prove your tournament worthiness. All right, I got Tennessee fourth. And I might could make the case that for Tennessee to be third because I'm a big Tony Vitello fan. Uh, Tony is an alpha all the way. There is no doubt about it. And he brings some real toughness from this team. You remember last year he and Dave Van Horn kind of had some – some words at the end of the series. It was a huge weekend. Arkansas wins that series. But I think Tony, even in defeat, kind of showed his team and that fan base, hey, we're going we're gonna to fight and we're going to make people respect us. They did lose a lot from last year. Uh, there's no question about that. They, they did. They, they lost some guys on a weekend for sure. But I think they've recruited at a good enough rate. They're going to be able to replace many of those guys and remain a very competitive team. I do think they're a tournament team, possibly a host team this year. I mean, they're going to have to win some head-to-head matchups against, uh, you know, Georgia, Bandy, Florida, people like that to kind of legitimize themselves as a host team. Uh, I do think the fact that they're, they're committing more to baseball in Knoxville is a good thing. You know, Tennessee is a baseball-crazy state, so uh, getting, you know, some resources behind that. I'll tell you guys, if you haven't traveled, uh, the traditional SEC schools, Tennessee, has the most antiquated stadium in the conference, and it's not close. It's not. And I'm not saying that to be negative. 
about Tennessee or about Tony Botello in any way whatsoever. But they let that place get old and just kind of neglected it. It looks good on TV because they fixed everything in the sight lines of the camera, but the grandstand and the fan experience is uh, is pretty diminished. I mean, it really is. But uh, I think, you know, now that they've got Tony they signed to an extension and they've made some promises for facility upgrades, they'll do that. Uh, they had a great team last year, no, no doubt about it, and uh, got some, some dudes to kind of watch. The guy that I really like on this team is Drew Gilbert. You know, they've got some people around him, but Drew Gilbert is a guy that's an outfielder that can really run. He's actually from Stillwater, Minnesota. 5'9", 182 pounds, um, kind of a utility guy. Hit 274 last year, had 74 hits, which is among the team leaders. 12 doubles, 10 home runs. They had five guys that hit double-digit home runs last year, and you've got a 5'9 guy out there uh, swinging it the way that he does. And so this is another guy, too, that uh, has the tools, can bunt a little bit, can run the bases, 10 of 11 in stolen bases. Uh, you have pretty good eye. Struck out just 40 times on the year, which was among the best among the regulars. But uh, that's a guy, when we start talking about filling out you know, sleepers for a you know, potential all-SEC type team. I think he has that kind of ability. And, of course, you know, the outfield's awfully crowded in this conference, but he is a guy that I think is ready to take a jump. We talk about pitching, and they did lose a lot last year. Uh, they really did. I think when you, you you look around, you figure, okay, well, who's who do they build a staff around? Well, there's no doubt it's going to be Blade Tidwell. This guy's uh, – he, this is a guy that's got all sorts of major league potential. Put up 10, 10 wins last year as a freshman out of Loretto, Tennessee. 6'4", 200-pounder. Absolute, absolute major league guy. There's no doubt about it. This is a guy that's going to get some things done. And when we played those guys, you know, we played Chad Dallas, who had 11 wins, but, you know, he's moved on, so you got to find a replace him. But – you know, Blade Tidwell is a guy that I think middle of the year will be in those conference in those conversations about, you know, the true frontline starters within this league. And uh, I don't know how old this guy is, but uh, he will be on a major league roster uh, within the next few years. I don't know if he's draft eligible this year or not. I don't know what his age is, but uh, this is just his second year in the league. But that's the guy they'll kind of build their staff around. And, again, as long as Tony is there, they're going to be competitive. Just, you just might as well expect it. Okay, number three for me in the East is Georgia. Scott Strickland always has pitchers. And I think this year they're going to have some offense to go around it. You know, people forget, you know, they embarrassed Vanderbilt last year. And they, they win that series and they, they really knock Kumar Rocker around a little bit. And I think that was the first time that people were like, okay, well, you know, Vandy's not what we thought they were. I said that from the beginning last year. I thought Vandy was somewhat vulnerable. And then what do they do? They advance to the College World Series final and then lose to Mississippi State. So they were the last team to lose. But they were not the imposing dark force that they have been. You know, sometimes you're like the evil empire up there, you know, with, with 10,000 scholarships to offer uh, players to come play. But they just weren't as good. And even though they weren't as good, they still played for an NFL championship. They were went away from winning an NFL championship, which in many respects is very much a um, you know a credit to Tim Corbin. But this Georgia team, I think, is a team that is kind of a dark horse in the East. You know, if, if some of the offense comes around the, with quality of pitching, they're going to have they're going to beat some teams that people aren't expecting. 
we go to Athens this year, and I'm eager to go. I'm excited to get over there. I've never covered baseball at Athens. I'm ready to get there. They don't have a very challenging non-conference schedule. They do have a series uh, with Georgia Tech. You know, that's the thing where they, they, they play on a neutral side. They'll play one game in Atlanta. They'll play one game in Athens and play the uh, play the uh, the third game on a neutral side. Uh, that's an important one. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sold on Georgia Tech. A lot of people are. I think Georgia will take that series. If everybody's healthy, I think they've got an opportunity to take that series. But, uh, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one opening up, man. Uh, we will go in there. Uh, March the 18th through the 20th, and we're going to see some guys that can really pitch it. They've already set the times for those games. If you're so if you're thinking of going, Friday night is a 7 p.m. first pitch, and then we'll be two and 12 uh, the rest of the weekend. So a Friday night game in Athens, there at Foley Field, that'll be exciting. But you know, looking at their schedule again, you know this Georgia team gets Florida at their place. That's big. They do have to go to South Carolina, but I'm not really sold on those guys. So I think you can go over there and get a win there. You get Texas A&M at your place. That's, even though that uh, slosh is there now, I think they're probably a year or two away. You go to Alabama, who I think will be improved this year, but that, there's a possibility you can go in there and win that one. You got to go down to LSU and play in that softball stadium, so you never know how that's going to go no matter how much pitching you have. Then they get Vanderbilt at their place. And you got to go to Tennessee. But, uh, you know, you get Mizzou at your place. But, yeah, my, my point being is that the SEC East, in many respects, is going to run through Athens, Georgia. They're going to have a chance to play some of the contenders in the top half of the league at their place, where they pitch it exceptionally well. And that's kind of the, when you look at the, you know, the front line numbers for this team, you, know, you look at what they're going to have pitching wise. Those are the things that kind of excite me. It's like you know. If Georgia can just be good on offense, they are, without a doubt, a tournament team and potentially a host team. I think that's how it's going to shake loose. I think their pitching will get them in. Offense will have to get them to Omaha. And I don't know that I'm ready to say that they're a potential Omaha team, but I do think they're a team that will host a regional. And how the super regional pairing kind of matches up will determine uh, their season in some respects. Uh, A guy you got to watch, Jonathan Cannon. Big right-handed pitcher, uh, 6'6", 216-pounder, sophomore from Alpharetta, Georgia. This guy can really throw it. Uh, will be a guy, too, that I think that uh, as long as Scott Strickland's there, we talk about how Tony's teams in Tennessee are always going to have an edge. As long as Scott Strickland's at Georgia, they're always going to have pitching. This will be another Scott Strickland success story. This is a guy that went 4-2 and two last year, had a 3.98 ERA, made 12 starts for him. But that will be kind of the centerpiece of the weekend in many respects. Uh, they also have, um, you know, some other pieces that you look at and you begin to think on the offensive side, if a couple of guys take a jump or two, they've got a chance to take a step forward offensively. It's always been the book on Georgia. It's like they had to beat you in pitcher's duels. If you could go out there and score five runs, you got a good chance of winning a ball game. But the guy I think offensively and defensively you've got to watch for them is a pretty exciting young catcher by the name of Fernando Gonzalez. He's a 5'10 sophomore out of Marietta, Georgia. Went to North Cobb Christian High School, and you know how baseball crazy that area is. Started 36 games as a freshman. And, and when you've got a guy that specializes in pitching like Scott Strzok, when he's not just going to set you know, anybody out there uh, to receive his pitcher. So it says a lot about their evaluation of him as a receiver. Uh, and also, you know, looking at the bio here, Set a school record for catches, catchers with a 1,000 fielding percentage and 330 chances. 
threw out 45% of base stealers and only had seven pass balls on the year, which is actually pretty good considering he's a freshman. And until you've seen a uh, an SEC level breaking ball in the in the dirt, you don't know what you're dealing with. But this is a dude that I think that we're going to see take a big jump this year. And again, if Scott Strickland likes a freshman as a catcher, that says an awful lot about him. Number two, and again, I don't get to Vandy Love. That's why I don't have him pick to win the East. Vandy, I'm picking him second. They lost a ton last year. They're expecting Christian Little and, uh, and Riley to kind of be the centerpiece of that rotation. I just don't see it. I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of inconsistency this year with Vanderbilt. I know they returned some interesting pieces on the offensive side. Defensively, they were a mess last year. You don't lose Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter and get better, even if you're Vanderbilt. Even if you're giving everybody 100% funded scholarships, you're not going to get better losing those guys. And I know everybody's picking them top five, and I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of people are doing that based on reputation and then respect for Tim Corbin and thinking, hey, well, they played an AFL championship last year and they're Vandy, they'll be back. I think, again, I think they're a team that contends for a top eight national seed. I just don't think – I think that's probably somewhat tenuous too, though. You know what I'm saying? Like last year it was like, well, they'd be the number one team in the country and they still made it even though they weren't even the best team in the East last year. I don't think they're the best team in the East this year. Tennessee won the East last year in case you forgot, right? But when I think about this Vandy team, you know, I think about Bradfield, I mean, who was, in my mind, one of the best center fielders to play in this league in probably a decade or so. Uh, I, I think he is not the offensive piece that um, maybe Jake Mangum was, but this is a guy that's a prolific base dealer and can play gap to gap. So he is going to help these young pitchers a lot. The fact that he's out there playing in the middle of the field and can roam the outfield uh, the way that he does. Anything back up the middle, Bradfield's got a chance to go get. The rest of it is still kind of interesting. It's really, really interesting. Um, You know, Carter Young is a guy that I like a lot. I really do. Now, he really struggled at Omaha, and he does have a hole in his swing. He does. But you know as well as I do, they've worked on that in the offseason. We'll see a little more polished product for him and defensively made some mistakes in Omaha, especially against us. But Carter Young's going to have to be a dude in this lineup. Now, what are they going to do with Dominic Keegan? You know, this is a guy that's kind of a utility guy. There was some talk that he was going to start at catcher this year. Uh, you, you may not have, uh, have known this, but uh, both catchers have moved on. Both catchers. Maxwell Romero Jr., of course, uh, was the guy that hit the home run off Preston Johnson that he waved goodbye to. And then C.J. Rodriguez, who, who might have been my favorite catcher in the league last year, uh, not named Logan Tanner. C.J. is a dude, and I think he'll play pro baseball for a long time. C.J. drafted and signed, and then uh, Romero went too. I think he was actually a late pick. I, I, I've forgotten my, my numbers on this. But Dominic Keegan may catch some this year. Played some at first base. There's talk about Stephen Jones. You know, Stephen Jones should probably have played college basketball big as he is. That uh, you know, he he will be the starter at first base, and then Keegan may catch some. But uh, you know, they'll figure some things out. They've even mentioned Jack Balger as a guy that might catch for him. And in this league, when you've got to kind of play catcher by committee, that's just not good. And then you think about the fact that you've got young pitchers uh, that you're trying to replace, you know, two first round picks with. 
I just think that's a recipe for some inconsistency. Now, the one guy that scares me to death for them is Nick Maldonado. This guy throws about three variations of the slider, and we haven't been able to hit any of it. It doesn't matter when we played him, whether it be here or there, Omaha, wherever. Whenever Maldonado's come in against us, he's really carved us up. He is a very, very, very good pitcher. Uh, 2.31 with the ERA last year, 1-2, 28 appearances. Uh, had nine saves on the year, but just ridiculous 59-7 to strikeout-to-walk ratio. I mean, just an absolute ridiculous guy. Now, we mentioned Christian Little and those guys. Christian Little has electric stuff. Uh, he's got to get a little bit tougher mentally. He was 3-2 and two last year with a 5.48 ERA. Didn't look good against Stanford. Didn't look good against Mississippi State. Now, granted, he's a young guy. Let's be fair to him. But he's going to be draft eligible this year. You know, he's one of those guys, too, you look at and begin to think, okay, he hadn't had a ton of experience. It needs to happen this year. Patrick Riley is a guy that we faced twice, and uh, he never impressed me. Four and two on the year with a 4.98 ERA. Had seven starts last year. So when you start looking at what they're, you know, what they have and what they're bringing back, you start wondering where's it going to come from. What's well, going to have to come from the recruiting trail? And they've got some dudes coming in for sure. But you know, I just look at the pitching aspect of this, and I know Vandy's usually pretty good pitching wise. They always have some guys that are pretty scary that have those major league bodies and guys that've got big league stuff. But you know, you lose Leiter and Rocker, which ironically both had 179 strikeouts apiece according to the Vandy website. It's it's crazy to think about that. They had to pitch 598 innings last year as a staff. Lighter and Rocker, 232 combined of those innings. You're losing all of that. And so you return Thomas Schultz, who had nine starts last year, largely ineffective. He'll be a guy that could be a factor. And, of course, a Little and Riley. But it's like I look at this rotation, and you don't have a lot of guys coming back that have SEC effective SEC innings under their belt. Those are the things that you look at and you say, okay, well, they got to figure some things out. You know, Little proved to be pretty ineffective last year. And he'll be better this year. They'll still be Vandy. I just don't think they're nearly as good as people are suggesting they're going to be. I think this is a team that um, has some questions defensively because you're going to have to, to move some guys around. And when you lose catchers in this league, it's just uh, it's difficult to replace them. But uh, – Isaiah Thomas, of course, has transferred. Jason Gonzalez has exhausted his ability, eligibility, and the CJ is gone. So you return some pieces, but you lose some important pieces. And I think Vandy is just a really good team this year. I don't think they're a great team. I know, that, I know that early in the year they'll be ranked high. I just don't think they're a team that's going to be nearly as good as people expect them to be. Call me a hater if you want to. I just don't see it. So, of course, I have Florida winning the East. I like Florida. I think Kevin O'Sullivan is one of the better pitching coaches in the country. I think they evaluate guys, and they're in a, uh, you know, a very big, you know, pitching crazy part of the country. And when you look at what they've got coming back from a pitching standpoint and offensively, this is a team that is primed to make a run for an AFL championship. I don't think there's any question about it. You know, say, well, Steve, they barely made the tournament last year. That's true, but they returned so many pieces uh, from a year ago, and the fact that they've got so much pitching to go with it, I think they're a team that's going to make it really interesting. Uh, I like the makeup of this team. Uh, I know Maldonado strikes out a ton, but he'll he'll hit it a country mile if you give him a chance. Um, They had some guys that had a chance to go pro that elected to come back. I think that's a huge part of things, too. I mean, you know, like, 
you know, Jacob Young is a guy that's absolutely ridiculous. It's just so it's so incredible that Florida has won NAFL championship when you consider their recruiting footprint. Uh, I think the story of the Florida team is not going to be offense, though. I think it's going to be pitching. Uh, I think you look at Hunter Barco, a guy they're really excited about, and they should be, from the Bowl School, Jacksonville, Florida, left-handed pitcher, 10-3 and last year, which led the team. He's back, 16 starts, had one complete game last year. Uh, 4.01 ERA, which is not tremendous, but the guy's a competitor, and he'll get better. That guy's going to be absolutely legit. Um, you know, of course, uh, you know, Tommy Mace is gone, and that's that's big uh, to say the least, but getting that guy uh, out of there, which is, is really good. But I think it's one of those things when you begin to think, all right, well, who steps up? Well, I think Brandon Sproke could be one of those guys, too. He had a couple starts last year. The numbers weren't especially flashy, but he was a young freshman on a pace Florida. A lot of people like him, major league body, 6'3", 210. Um, you know, guy that can consistently throw three pitches for a strike. I look for him to take a jump for them this year. And there was only so many innings to go around last year. But, uh, you know, they, they're, they're going to pitch it well. That's just kind of what Florida's built upon is, uh, is pitching the baseball. So they're going to have the pitching, I think, um, whereas some other teams in this league aren't. And that's the, one of the things that we'll talk about when we get into the, the Friday SEC West preview. As offensive as this league is expected to be this year, it's not the year to have suspect pitching. The teams that can have good pitching – are going to have a huge advantage over the teams that don't. And you said, well, Steve, that kind of goes without saying. No, I don't even think you can be average at pitching this year. I think if you can be really good at pitching, you've got a chance. Because when you look up and down, you say, well, you know, everybody recruits well. I don't think this is the year of the Friday night starter in the SEC. I think there are going to be some teams out there that kind of show, you know, shuffle some things around because of how offensive things are going to be. They're, we're going to see some high-scoring games in this league, especially on Sunday. And so the teams that have some pitching depth are going to rise to the top of the league. And the teams that don't are going to beat each other up in the middle. I think it's important to kind of see it as for what it is. So I'm excited about it. You guys should be too. And again, on Friday, we'll talk about the SEC West. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thanks, as always, for your support of the Boneyard. Looking forward to being back with you guys sooner rather than later. I'm going to pack a bag and uh, head to Meridian. And uh, this show obviously available in all the regular formats. And then uh, – I'll post it on Gene's page a little bit later. And again, thanks so much for your support of the book and uh, look forward to getting your review from all of that. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.